You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning. Uh, my name is Bert Wallace. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm going to uh, lead us in a message today. Um, and uh, let's see if I got this going here. Did you come look at this? It's all right. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, there we go. Because I'm, uh, I'm a professor at Campbell, and I usually run my own PowerPoints and jump around a lot, so I thought the booth would be uh, sort of driven insane if, that, if they were trying to run the slides for me. So um, uh, I'm glad to be here this morning, and I wanted to start out uh, talking about uh, using a quote that Brad used uh, in his sermon last week. Um, from John Woodhouse, maybe. Is that up there? There we go. There it is. Let's see if we get this going. All right. So this is from uh, John Woodhouse's commentary on uh, uh, of the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. And he says, one of the most difficult lessons for human beings to learn is that we are not up to the task of ruling the world. Again and again, we are deceived into hoping that a new leader a new government, political system, economic program, foreign policy, something will provide the answers that the world and its communities need. The disappointments that inevitably follow do not seem to have the power to teach us that the resources of humanity are simply inadequate to resolve the dilemmas of humanity. I, think, I feel like in our country we're particularly prone to this. If only our guy gets in, uh, then everything will be okay. Um, I've, and it's, it's just, um, as, as Woodhouse says, and as it seems obvious to me, <laughs> it's just not true. Um, uh, this, this is what Israel was looking for uh, when they began to ask for a king. Uh, uh, last week, Brad talked about uh, the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, and he mentioned Saul, you know, who was the first king. And I'm going to be talking about that too. And then Solomon, who came after uh, the, the sermon series that's going to begin, uh, I think next week, is about Habakkuk, is from the book of Habakkuk, uh, and that's right toward the end of the, this era of the kings, uh, which Brad will get into later. But what I want to do today is kind of give an overview of this era of um, the kings, uh, the whole thing, all right? So that's, you know, instead of looking at a few verses today, we're looking at the whole 500-year uh, period of history. This is a little different uh, than t- the kind of sermons we typically do at Grace. Uh, this is not really an expository message, uh, but an overview of the book of Kings, and I hope it gives you some stuff to think about, and I hope that uh, uh, it'll help to set up what, what we're going to be studying as we look at a book next. Saul was the first king. Uh, that was around 1050 B.C. I always say to my students that, um, you know, uh, some of you may not know this, but in academic uh, writing, you don't say B.C. and A.D. anymore. You say B.C.E., which is before the Common Era, and C.E., which is the Common Era, which I guess we're in now. Um, and, but it, the dates are the same. They, they just change the designations. And what I always say is, when I'm speaking to my students, I just use the old B.C. and A.D. because those use Christ as the dividing point in history, 
Uh, the, uh, the new system also uses Christ as a dividing point in history, but it just sort of pretends like it isn't. Uh, and so I don't pretend like I'm not. So anyway, I, I always say B.C. Uh, and then Zedekiah was the final king of Israel, which we'll get to him. That was when Israel fell, or Judah actually fell, to Babylon in 586 B.C. So we're talking about around 500 years, give or take, round numbers. Uh, I've been going through the Bible chronologically, uh, and I don't think I've ever done that before. In other words, not just literally straight through Genesis to Revelation, but jumping around uh, chronologically. Um, and especially in Kings and Chronicles, that gets really confusing because there's a lot of overlap and you're jumping back and forth. Um, and, but there are some interesting, and I've noticed some things and, uh, about... Um, the uh, differences between those books. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of differences as well. Um, in First and Second Kings, uh, it's an earlier book. It was completed around 560 uh, BC, uh, right around the time of the the beginning of the exile. We don't really know who wrote it. Um, and really, it's answering a question: the Book of the Kings. Why are we here? What happened? You know, what what put us in this place of exile that we are now? Chronicles, which comes later, about 100 years later, um, we don't know exactly who wrote it. It might have been Ezra, uh, though we don't know that for sure. Um, but it's a, it's a different kind of a book. A lot of the information is the same, uh, but it is um, really about God's faithfulness. You know, the history, uh, particularly of Judah, it really focuses on Judah. And again, I'll get more into that a little later. Um, and uh, it tends to be more positive. Uh, Kings is a much more uh, almost warts and all kind of view of, of what was going on. Chronicles, is, is it, it's not that it's rose-colored glasses, but it is a little bit more positive overall than, than Kings is. Um, I wanted to say that my lesson today is very much informed by uh, the a, a series called the Layman's Bible Commentary, uh, particularly Volume 3, um, and... Uh, that, by the way, is a little different. Some of you may be familiar with the old um, layman's Bible book commentary, the blue ones. You know, those I've seen those around for years. Those are, that's a, from the Baptist Press. So it's a similar name, but it's a different series. Um, and it, a really good uh, commentary uh, on, on the whole Bible. And it's, it's very much as the title would say in layman's terms. Uh, so I'd recommend that to you. I got it cheap at a, at a clearance sale at a Christian bookstore a long time ago. Um, and uh, also, I, I want to say before I really get going, that a couple of other books really helped me out. One, particularly the one uh, on your left there, the, a book called Christian Faith in the Old Testament, The Bible of the Apostles by Gareth Lee Cockrell. It's just a really interesting book that takes you, it's not really a Bible commentary, but it just takes you really through the whole Old Testament and showing how everything is pointing to the coming of the Christ. And, uh, and the, the author is actually really making the point, this, the Old Testament was the Bible that the apostles used. You know, they weren't looking up things in, in Hebrews and Third John. You know, I mean, they were, they were reading those things, some of those things as letters, but when they thought about Scripture, they were looking at what we would call the Old Testament today. So that book really, really helped me a lot. And then, this, and this is just my kind of thing, that, the, that Rose book of Bible charts, that's a fantastic book. Uh, it's, ju it's just a, you know, a book of charts, and as the title uh, 
says. But it's, I'm going to use one of those charts here in a minute. And that, if, if you just like that kind of information, what I guess we now call infographics, uh, in, in that kind of form, just a really excellent resource. So that, that, those really helped me a lot today. Um, so I do want to uh, get back to our, our topic here. I'm going to read a, a long passage of scripture from 1 Samuel to kind of set it up. Um, I thought about cutting it and making it shorter, uh, but it's a proclamation from uh, Samuel, and he's sort of talking to the children of Israel, and they had to listen to the whole thing at one sitting. So we're going to also listen to the whole thing at one sitting. So if you would please stand, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people have saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen but the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So God warned them. They wouldn't listen to him. Samuel tried to warn them. They wouldn't listen to him. Um, and so they got what they wanted. But the question is, did they make the wrong choice? Um, were they doomed forever because they came to a crossroads? They made a decision. They took this path. That wasn't God's will for them. Now they're just on the wrong path, and that's the end of the story. Well, it makes me think of something that Brad, again, said last week. It's something that I've 
thought and talked about for a long time, and that is that God's will for you, for us, for them, begins today. Uh, a wrong choice in the past, uh, a, even something that was clearly against God's will, a, something, a sin. You know, we could never say that God wills us to sin. Uh, but if we do sin and make that choice and repent and come back, God's will begins for us. We're not, we're not lost. Uh, so that's an important thing to remember uh, as, things, as things get, get cooking here. Um, so what about Israel? You know, Samuel, when he tried to warn them, they made the wrong choice. Um, but Samuel was told by God to find and anoint Saul as the first king. Um, the day before Saul came and when Samuel was out looking for Saul or looking for the man he was going to anoint, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Now this is the same uh, from the same setting that Samuel just told them, God's not going to hear you. If you want, want a king, and now God says, I have seen my people. Their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Samuel, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. It is he who shall restrain my people. So God was in it. You know, God was in the, um, the, the choice of the first king. Uh, it was not his, um, not what, you know, he had tried to warn them about it. They went that direction. So his hand is still in it. Um, and what I really want to do is look at um, what I'm calling uh, the highlights and lowlights, really it's more lowlights, uh, of this period of the kings, this roughly 500-year, four or 500-year period. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no way that we could um, go over and it'd be kind of silly to try to sort of touch on all the kings but I want to look at some kind of little periods in history the, the first period starting with Saul and then going through Jeroboam, Rehoboam I'll talk about why I'm putting them together and that's from disobedience the disobedience of we want a king descends ultimately into wickedness uh, then I want to look jump really toward uh, the end of the, the period of the kings and look at a righteous period um, between the king, good king Hezekiah and good king Josiah. Um, that was a righteous period, but out of that period, wickedness continues. And then right after that, from Jehoahaz to Zedekiah, who was the last king, out of the righteousness of Josiah comes death. Uh, so there's, ultimately it's kind of a bleak picture uh, of, what, of what's going on uh, with these uh, with these people, these, this period. And I want to, I'm going to throw a chart up here and I'm not sure how, I don't know how well you guys can see that. Probably not very well. Um, this is from that Rose book, but it just, it just lists all the Kings and we don't need to refer to this that much, but this is a, the good kind of thing that I like where it shows all the Kings, the kingdom divides, and then the things that you probably can't read very well, uh, in the little lines in the center are all the different prophets and when they were going. That's a very interesting to me, like when, when different prophets were prophesying. And in my chronological Bible that I'm reading, I'm, it's actually not a chronological Bible. It's just a, uh, it's a plan, you know, a chronological plan that I'm using. And you're, you're always jumping to like the different prophets, you know, like, you, you know, you're, you're reading in Chronicles and then you'll jump over to, you know, the book of Amos uh, because he was writing in this particular period, you know, that kind of thing. So um, 
this just kind of lays everything out um, in a um, in a way that helps me to understand what's going on. These kind of things are easy to find online as well. Um, Another thing that I'm going to refer to a lot today is uh, something from Cockrell's book on Christian faith in the Old Testament. And he uses this device, and he uses it throughout the book, which he calls the sinometer. Sinometer. Um, and there it is. And, it's, and the needle is there, is down on one side there. And that really comes from uh, in, under Moses, when Moses proclaimed on Mount Sinai to the people you know, God's laws and God's covenant. And they said um, all together, all the people said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, so that's no sin. You know, that, that's at the needle is resting there on, on empty, no sin. Um, uh, but that needle's going to start moving. Um, and we're gonna, we'll see that a little bit. Uh, they quickly fall away from that. Um, they enter into um, the period of the judges, uh, which um, Samuel is actually the, the last judge. I don't know if he's officially listed as a judge, but, but for all practical purposes, he was the final judge. And then they start asking for a king. And why do they do that? They ask for a king, one of the main reasons, so that we will be like all the other nations. And on uh, Cockrell's chart here, that, that gets that needle moving. You know, we want to be like all the other nations. Um, and... What happens when you want to be like all the other nations? You start worshiping the gods. Well, you start worshiping or at least accepting the gods of the other nations. Um, And once you have other gods along with God, the true God, then you begin to look at God as if he were like those other gods. Now we're up. Oh, we're about halfway now. Um, And then, of course, you put those other gods in place of God. And then finally, when we get to the very end, you're not going to just be like other nations. You're going to be dispersed among the other nations. The whole thing is going to fall apart. So this is a really interesting way that that Cockerell um, uh, looks at the progression of Israel. And especially as you're getting up toward the middle of that meter, you know, trying to have it both ways. You know, we, we, we have God, sure, God's great and everything, but we've got these other gods too, and maybe we should worship them and look at the other nations and how well they're doing, and maybe we should pull in some of these ideas and so forth. So anyway, I'm going to refer back to this chart uh, a good bit uh, throughout, throughout the message today. Um, so let's look at our, I want to look at our first group now. This is starting with Saul, uh, and, and going through Jeroboam, Rehoboam, all right? Uh, I'm going to uh, use another chart, which might be a little easier to see. Uh, and this, this is something that Neil Manning, uh, one of our elders, uh, provided for me. It's very helpful. I can't put it up on the screen because it's long and it's stretched out like that. So that, you know, there's no way it would work. But um, a lot of times in these charts that you see, uh, they will uh, color code or in some way indicate um, which kings are good, which kings are bad, and which kings are kind of a little bit of both. Um, most of them, in this chart, the gold is good, um, and the blue is bad, and most of them are blue, you know, and that's just the way it goes. Um, but, um, and this chart's got some other information on it too. We're not going to refer to that too much, uh, except I'm going to throw up sometimes these other kings. So here's the period, the very first period we're looking at now, starting with Saul, um, 
and going down through the time that the kingdom divides uh, into uh, David and Solomon. Um, I mean, so, uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, I mean. Um, so uh, let's, let's just, I just want to look at each one of those, those kings, you know, just kind of quickly here. Um, so first there's Saul. And now Saul was chosen. He was anointed by God. Second uh, Kings 15, we get that story. Um, but ultimately, God removes his spirit from Saul. Uh, so they asked for a king. All right, I'll give you Saul. And at first, Saul was good. He prophesies. Um, he's chosen from the tribe of Benjamin. But then ultimately, he's, God's spirit is removed from him. Why? Because of disobedience. Um, the act of the specific act of disobedience was that he was waiting for Samuel to perform a sacrifice um, before a battle, and Samuel doesn't arrive, and so Paul just uh, Saul just says, "Well, you know, we got to get going here. Let's do it. Let's go." So he does the sacrifice himself, really acting as a priest, um, which is completely inappropriate uh, for him to do, and so. God removes his spirit and says, hey, you know, you're not going to be the king anymore. We're going to, we're going to have a new king. Uh, that's David, of course. David becomes the king. Uh, now, David is a good king. Uh, he is a man after God's own heart. Uh, this is not a sermon about David, but uh, we know that David's good things, but he was, had many sins as well. He was very sinful in a lot of his ways. And out of maybe his worst sin, which we talked about last week, a whole conflagration of sins where he commits adultery and then murder. Um, but out of all that comes the child Solomon, uh, which as Brad talked about last week, the Lord loves Solomon. Uh, this child that just it came out of all that wickedness. Child is never a bad thing. Uh, Baby is never, never a bad thing. Babies are always blessings. And uh, so Solomon who led into this great golden age of the uh, kingdom of Israel came out of, out of that disobedience. So Solomon, man of, of great godly wisdom, um, one of the, the wisest men who ever lived, we're told. Um, and, uh, but out of his success and wealth came a, a lot of unwise marriages, a lot of unwise marriages. And in the end, he is worshiping other gods. Solomon himself uh, is, is building temples to other gods and worshiping other gods. Um, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Um, I have to say that I really don't know what to make of the end of Solomon for my, my whole life. I, I've puzzled over that, this great, godly, wise man. I think maybe the lesson, this is probably too simplistic, but maybe the lesson for us is, you know, um, even the wisest man who ever lived 
is going to fall. <laughs> he can't do it. You know, he can't, he can't on his own power. He's going to turn to wickedness apart from God's spirit. Gives me, gives me a lot of pause, you know, how it is that Solomon fell away. Um, so the uh, kingdom goes to, to Re- his son Rehoboam. Uh, which does continue David's dynasty, as the Lord said. You know, your son will, will continue. But Rehoboam, his son, is even harsher than Solomon. You know, it's interesting. I, I often think of Solomon as very benevolent. Uh, but apparently, at least at some points in his reign or toward the end, he got very harsh. In the First Kings 12, we learn uh, the elders come to, uh, to uh, the new king, Rehoboam, and say, your father, Solomon, made our yoke heavy. Therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He thinks about it for a little bit, gets some unwise counsel, and Rehoboam, the new king, answers the people harshly, forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, and spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions." So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Abijah the Shelanite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Uh, So there is um, uh, Rehoboam's response to the people and to what God has called him to do. Uh, He Ultimately, his wickedness leads to a division in the kingdom. So the great kingdom under Solomon of Israel divides. uh, And Jeroboam, one of Solomon's servants, rebels um, and becomes king of what the northern tribes, the kingdom divides into northern and southern. uh, And the northern kingdom is called Israel and the southern kingdom is called Judah. Uh, And Jeroboam, uh, who is not of the line of David, uh, is uh, but he was appointed by God specifically to replace a disobedient king, much like David was. David was re- appointed by God to replace a disobedient king. Uh, like David, Jeroboam has promised a lasting dynasty uh, if he follows the Lord. Uh, un- unfortunately, he establishes a pattern of absolute wickedness and idolatry. Um, in fact, he becomes a byword in the in Scripture for wickedness and idolatry. The king after king, these wicked kings that come later, said he followed in the ways of Jeroboam. You know, he he didn't. You know, he was wicked like Jeroboam was. Um, our centimeter is is right up at the middle there now. You know, um, he, we're beginning to treat God as if he was another god. The other gods have been have been tolerated and welcomed, and now God himself is being attributes of the other gods are being put to God. I mean, look at this from uh, 1 Kings 12. King Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David, uh, that is the kingdom of Judah, if this people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So Jeroboam took counsel <clears throat> and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." 
And he set one at Bethel and the other he put at Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. So here is a king who's saying, makes these golden calves, which we've seen before in biblical history. But he, but he looks just like Aaron so long before. He's like, hey, look at these calves. These brought you up out of Egypt. And he sets up new temples, unlike the place where God had said, this Jerusalem, this temple is going to be my house. This temple that Solomon built. Uh, no, we don't need that. We're going to go elsewhere. We're going to worship other gods. And we're going to attribute, in fact, things that God did to these other gods. That, that's just amazing to me, that Jeroboam is just like, hey, look at these calves. They're, they brought you out of Egypt. Absolutely unbelievable to me. Um, the kingdom is divided. Um, and things just go from bad to worse. Um, the uh, things don't start out well. They start out poorly with Saul. There's a little bit of a golden age there, but then it quickly descends into uh, chaos. Um, as we look at the divided kingdom, uh, there are no good kings in the in the northern kingdom of Israel. If they're all blue, and there's only a few in um, in Judah. In fact. After that division, there's 39 kings total between Israel and Judah. And only eight of them, max, could be called good kings. Um, and those that are good are the ones that are said to follow in the ways of the Lord. That what they do, what they tend to do, is they restore the temple, which has fallen in disrepair. They destroy pagan shrines and Asherah poles and and high places, you know, these, these pagan shrines that have been put up. But usually the problem is, if you go through time after time, it'll say, you know, he tore down the Asheroth poles and he tore down the high places, but not all of them. You know, he didn't quite get there. You know, he, he, he did a lot of good stuff, but he doesn't fully root out the wickedness, the pagan shrines. So that, that, that's, he's good, but doesn't do the job fully. So we're going to jump now. We're going to jump along over a lot of stuff uh, down really right toward the end of the, this period, uh, the whole period of the kings to Hezekiah. I'll show you this chart here. Again, it might be a little small to see, but um, the two gold ones there are, are Hezekiah and then his great-grandson, Josiah. You can see over there on the your left, or I guess it's your right, the... Um, uh, the, the northern kingdom is, is now collapsed. It doesn't exist anymore. It's been taken off into captivity. Uh, so there's no more kings in Israel. And, and now we're in Judah only. And we get to good king Hezekiah, um, who uh, is son of a very wicked king, Ahaz. But Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He restores the temple. Um, he... Um, uh, establishes a Passover, which hadn't been done in forever. So they begin to do that again. Um, and he does end on a weak note. Um, he makes a bad alliance, and the prophet Isaiah warns him not to do it, but he does it anyway, sort of shrugs it off. Um, and uh, in fact, he is told, um, you know, that uh, you, you, I don't have this on the on the 
presentation, but he's, he says, well, you know, God says, look, you know, if, if you do this, things aren't going to go well, and, and I, not for your sake, I won't make things go bad in your time. And then he sort of says, oh, well, you know, he says in his heart, okay, well, there'll be peace in my time, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, so he does end on a weak note, but still, he, he's a good king. I mean, he's, he's held up as a very good king. Uh, in fact, we're told, you know, there was no king before, like him, before or since, you know, he's, so he, so ain't none of us perfect. I mean, you know, he's got, he's got his problems, but, but he's a, he's a good king of Israel. So things are on the right track, I guess. Um, but his son, Manasseh, who becomes king after him, and then his grandson, Amon, are among the absolute most wicked kings in all of the history of Israel and Judah. Um, they undo everything that he did. They, um, they put up pagan shrines. I mean, Manasseh puts pagan shrines in the temple itself in Jerusalem, like builds shrines to other gods. So it's beyond, way beyond just tolerating other gods. It's literally worshiping other gods in God's temple. We're told that they bow down before the starry hosts. Manasseh sacrifices his own son, not Amon, but another son in the fire, uh, which is a completely pagan practice, obviously. Um, uh, Amon, his, the grandson, walked in the ways of his father Manasseh. Uh, ultimately, things get so chaotic and wicked and out of control that Amon is assassinated uh, by his own people. These are extremely dark days uh, in Judah, coming out of a, the reign of a good king who restores the temple and tries to walk in the ways of the Lord. But in the, the generations that follow, the 30, 40 years that follow, the temples defiled, the word of the Lord is forgotten, completely forgotten, even by the priests. Um, everything just goes by the wayside. But out of this darkness, there's some light. Josiah, who is the great-grandson of Hezekiah, the son of Ammon, um, becomes probably, arguably, certainly the most righteous king of them all. Um, somehow God's spirit moves in him. I mean, how does it move in any of us? Well, it moves in, in Josiah. I always wonder how Josiah knew about the Lord and the, the word of the Lord. Why was he moved? Was it a tutor that you know, t- told him about it? His mother, Jedidiah, uh, is mentioned. Uh, so you could think, well, maybe his mother you know, told him about these things. The mother is often mentioned, more often mentioned, about a bad king. You know, they, they, oh, he was an e- wicked king and his mother was this person. Maybe that has to do with the influence of the mother, you know, for good or for evil. I don't know. But anyway, Josiah um, absolutely uh, uh, did even more than Hezekiah did. The, for, the law was rediscovered uh, and read um, before the people. They all repented. Uh, you know, and we're told of Josiah before him, there was no king like him who turned his heart to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any arise uh, like that after him. However, God's judgment is still there. Um, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel and I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there.
Now, Josiah himself, sadly, also ends on a, on a sort of a weak note. Uh, he goes to battle against Egypt uh, and the Pharaoh, um, Necho, uh, actually at the prompting of the Lord, um, uh, says to Josiah, you don't need to, don't go in and get battle against me. You know, the Lord has told me, don't, don't, you don't, this is not your fight. Stay out of this. But Josiah does it anyway uh, and is killed in battle. Um, Chronicles, actually the book of Chronicles gives us this detail about Josiah's faltering there at the end, which is a little unusual. Usually those kind of things aren't mentioned in in the Chronicles, more in the book of Kings. But still, uh, the prophet Jeremiah himself composes laments for the the kingdom of uh, Josiah in the end of Josiah. Um, And uh, so out of that legacy that legacy of righteousness begun by Hezekiah, but then it gets wicked again, but then Josiah comes. Then we enter into the last period of Jehoahaz, who's the son of Josiah. Um, Was he a good and righteous king? Here's here's that chart, just takes us down to the end. There's good King Josiah at the top. Look at all the blue down there. You know, his his son uh, does not continue in the ways of his father, Josiah. He is a wicked son. He burns everything down. Everything, everything I don't mean literally, but he puts up all the, the pagan shrines again. He does everything uh, that he wasn't supposed to do. Um, his son, Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin. If I can get, get those tongue twisters around. Um, the end of all things is near. They are wicked, faithless kings. They're really overseeing the death of, the, of God's kingdom of Judah. Both of them ultimately are transported to Babylon. The, the Babylonian empire is really gaining steam. And uh, uh, they both end up being transported there and they both die there. Um, the final king of Judah is Zedekiah, which is actually a Babylonian name given to him by Nebuchadnezzar. He's a sort of a puppet king. He's an uncle of Jehoiachin not in the direct line, um, and he's, Nebuchadnezzar puts him in place as a puppet king. He, he also dies in Babylon. So that's it. That, that's, that's the last king. Um, you know, now they've been dispersed among the nations. Uh, the Babylonians uh, take over. They send most of the people into exile. They've gone from all this, the Lord says we will do through this whole cycle, and now not, they're not only like other nations, they're just dispersed among all the other nations. Um, the, um, the Lord says, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. I will cast this city off that I have chosen, Jerusalem, the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So it seems like all is lost. Why did Israel need to go through all this? Why do we need to study this and learn about it? I mean, God's cast off Jerusalem, his, his city. But, there's always the but, the man who it all started with, the whole, the whole thing, and the whole thing with Israel began with Abraham, who was called out of a pagan nation by God. And Hebrews tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Uh, Abraham 
was looking for a heavenly city. Augustine talks about the city of God. So there's Jerusalem, the physical city of Jerusalem, which is important. And the physical city of Jerusalem, I don't know, might have some significance in the end of all things. But ultimately, it's not about the physical city. It's about the heavenly city, the city whose designer and builder is God. Now, all the kings that that I've talked about today, not all the kings uh, that you could list, but all the kings that we've talked about, except for Saul, who was the first, and then except and then Jeroboam, who was who was a rebel, who was not in the in either line. But besides Saul and Jeroboam, all the ones that we talked about were in the line of Christ. If you look at the royal uh, lineage of Christ in Matthew, you can see that all those kings that went to the good and the bad were in the line of Christ, who is the perfect king. Um, Hebrews goes on to tell us, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So after all this, chaos and violence and harshness, we come to learn that what's really important is the heavenly city and Jesus, the perfect king, whose blood mediates all of our sin and is a new covenant. In just a few moments, we're going to be celebrating uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, which is all about the new covenant and the sprinkling of blood, a word that is better than the blood of Abel. Scott Colbert is going to lead us that in a few minutes. Um, But let me, uh, as we close this time together, um, pray for us and think about these kings who came uh, and went in history so long ago that it's hard for us to even remember them now, except for that we read about them. And we know that all scripture is God-breathed, and so it's important for us to read about these men and the good things they did and the bad things they did and what we can learn uh, and what God is telling us through the history of these kings. So join me in prayer if you would. Father, thank you for your word that we can have to study and learn about you. Um, Help us to learn what what we need to know uh, about your people and your kingdom and your true kingdom uh, and with Christ at its head. Thank you for this time, Lord, and now just be with us as we enter into a time of communion. Uh, We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.